Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 262 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thank you so much for joining us this week. We hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving, and if you're not in the United States, hope you had a nice weekend regardless. We are back with an episode uh, before the winter meetings, we'll probably do an episode uh, either during or right after the winter meetings next week. So uh, until then, here is Chris McShane and myself talking about all things Mets. And just a programming note, this will be Chris's last show for a few weeks. He is traveling on his honeymoon. So uh, enjoy your trip, Chris, and uh, here we go. Well, Chris, you are just mere hours away from getting on an airplane to the other side of the world. So we are doing our last um, Amazing Avenue audio together until probably our year-end spectacular, whatever that will look like. Um so we have a little bit of some uh, some trade rumors going on here. Um, the Mets are reportedly interested in getting Ian Kinsler from the Tigers. Um, my initial thought when I heard this was, dope, it's 2009. 
and then realize, oh, no, it's not anymore. Do I still want Ian Kinsler on my team? <laughs> uh, what was your initial reaction to hearing this rumor? Uh, did I miss the Mets re-signing John Neese? Yep. <laughs> See? Uh, that that was, you know, it, I don't know who you'd have to give up to get Ian Kinsler. Um, but coming at it sort of from an opposite perspective, I was never a big Ian Kinsler fan. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know if he, like, looking back, like, did I have him on my fantasy team in 2012 when he wasn't, you know, that that was probably his, that right. and last, this season, the 2017 season, really the only two that he was not terrific, uh, you know, as right. a hitter, or at least not above average. What year um, did he come up offhand? I can't remember. Uh, that 2006. 2006, I mean, I, okay. Full disclosure, I, I'm just looking at his baseball reference page. But, <laughs> okay, fair enough. But yeah, no, he, he's been around for a while. And um, I don't know. I like you look at it. This is a guy who. <clears throat> excuse me. I, I, uh, I know you're gonna miss me. You don't have to get choked up though, buddy. <laughs> the heat in this apartment is not commensurate with the actual temperature that it is <laughs> okay. right now. The window is wide open. The fan's not on because we care about the quality of this recording for you all. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so a little, a little stuffy, but um, but yeah, I don't I don't know what it was. You, you look back at it, um, year in and year out, he was putting up pretty decent numbers. His defense was always rated well. Um, you know, his his wins above replacement was solid. Um, I guess, like in a way, you would look before Daniel Murphy turned into what he did. He looks a lot like Ian Kinsler. Yeah, like as a hitter, at least you know. Yeah. So the kind of career that I thought Daniel Murphy would have, based on the first, based on all of his Mets tenure, you know, I, I didn't completely buy the crazy run in the postseason. Um, so it's kind of like that, but with good defense or great defense, um, you know, and that's that's a, a good player. player. Yeah. So so I've sort of been talked into, oh, he's pretty decent. The only thing is now he's, you know, coming off this down year. Um So yeah, I mean if it's it all comes down to money again, you know, he's making 11 million dollars, which shouldn't be an obstacle for any major league team. Right, right. Um but who they give up, I imagine it wouldn't have to be anything too spectacular. Um but is it if it's a third of the available budget? Uh, I don't know. Right, you're not going to give up anybody who's going to take some dollars off of that, right? They're not they're not going to trade as Drupal Cabrera for him. They're not going to trade somebody who's making any money for right. Kinsler. So you know you're looking at somebody who's probably making half a million dollars or three quarters of a million dollars for eleven million. And as you said, if this was a legitimate major league franchise, that shouldn't be an issue. But we all know what the Mets ownership uh, does with money. Yeah, so it's um, if it's a spot where you can upgrade, uh, you, you know, we've talked about it plenty. We've written about it plenty. They they need to upgrade in several places. So I, I'm willing to buy, you know, one year, uh, good bounce back candidate. Yeah, he's going into his age 36 season. You know, it, it's if he had been crappy for five years in his thirties, that might be a little more like eh, I don't know. 
but uh, I'm I'm willing to buy that that you you know if you could trade a mid level to to lower level prospect for him, sure, um, sign me up. But I I've seen some some of the Mets Twitter faithful who we know always have the pulse of the front office. Truly, you know, the, the finger on the pulse have, have <laughs> been floating a Dom Smith for Ian Kinsler trade. And um, while I understand the impulse behind that trade, that just creates an even bigger hole at first base for the Mets to need to fill. And if they're shooting $11 million off their budget, that means there's even less for them to spend on a first baseman. So I don't know how I feel about that trade. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not the biggest Dom Smith believer, but that that doesn't work. There's just too much upside there, potential upside. Yeah, and I, I don't really know if it works for the uh, for the Tigers. You know, I mean, see, Chris, it, here's your problem. You're considering the Tigers. We're talking about Mets Twitter here. <laughs> I mean, when Victor Martinez is done with his contract, I don't know how Next much year. longer he has. One more year, right? Right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, but it's um, I don't know how much longer he intends to play. I don't know if he'll end up staying there. But between him and Miguel Cabrera, you know, there wouldn't really be. Uh, any significant time or place for Smith to play for them? Uh, uh, the, the the squinting argument I heard was that you know if you look at this hard enough, if Martinez leaves after next season, then you can have Smith as your first baseman while you have uh, Cabrera as your full time DH. And so Smith was going to start the year in the minors for the Mets anyway, so you might as well have him be in the minors for the whole season for Detroit, and then you know see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the the people, the Mets fans who wanted Dom Smith up when Duda was still here and still producing for this team mm-hmm. would lose their minds if Dom Smith was traded for, for Ian Kinsler. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, uh, do you think there's just sidebar here? Do you think there are still like Dom believers out there in that part of the fan base? I feel like that part of the fan base loves you until you debut. And then the second you strike out, you're a bum forever. Um, yeah, you might be right. I mean, it, it, there's like this weird, like I don't know if this is accurate, but to me, I associate um, the people who were really passionate about Smith with being sort of anti Alderson. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have the same the same impression about that, but. He picked him. I was going to say, it makes almost no sense because Alderson drafted him, and uh, clearly Alderson believed in, in the skill set enough to call him up this season. Right. You're right. They, they, you know, made room by trading Duda and brought him up and everything. And, yeah, there are guys who run the draft and run the scouting department and all that, but I, I would be surprised if a GM didn't have to sign off on... <laughs> on a first-round draft pick, yeah. Yeah, especially in the upper half of the first round, you know, it's you're you're listening to your staff and 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 you trust them, but I think ultimately you're going to have to give the okay uh, that high up, you know, being 30 rounds in, maybe you're not uh too hands-on, you know. But yeah, I never I never really got that. Like like Alderson's the establishment and Dom Smith is somehow the anti-establishment. Right. I don't know. It's bizarre. It is. Um, just a thought exercise to you here. 
if you had to take uh, this bet today, Ian Kinsler and um, Wilmer Flores get the same amount of plate appearances in 2018. Uh-huh. Who has a more productive season overall? Hmm. By by war? Yeah, let's call it war. Um. Hmm. See, my gut tells me that it would be Kinsler because of his defense. Right. Like, that's there to keep you afloat. You know, even even this year, Fangraphs has him at 2.4, or had him, I should say. Um, and it's not like he was one of the worst hitters in baseball. He was just not a good hitter. He wasn't 2009, 2010 Ian Kinsler. Right. And, you know, even even 2016 Ian Kinsler was pretty good. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I think I think that kind of would keep him afloat. Would be a little more fun to say, oh, Wilmer Flores is going to be, you know, that guy. But uh, I don't think it's as far apart as it might sound initially. Right. So it's just, uh, and when you're looking at that kind of thing, you're looking at the player in isolation. So you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, Flores is a better fit as an everyday player. Uh, at second base, in particular, for this team, you know the the, the added defense, and I, I don't know if Mets fans are too obsessed with defense now. Um, you know, I think there might be one extreme that the Mets have tried, and and you know maybe uh, needs to come back the other way. Uh, I'm I'm on board with that, but it seems to be something people care about a lot. When a year or two ago they didn't care, and that that's fine. Changing your mind and I don't know, evolving as a fan, that's a good thing. Uh, so I'm not insulting that, but it's just, it's weird to see an about face on it. You know, D. Gordon to me, uh, the Mets Twitter was all about him a little bit early in this offseason. Right. And I'm sure if his name surfaces again or if he gets traded elsewhere, it'll be a hot topic. Uh, but either I just don't realize that I've sort of changed what I'm paying attention to. Or a whole lot of people used to think D. Gordon was just garbage as a player and now are in love with him. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, part of that is, is I just think, you know, there, there's this, I don't, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm looking for is like, you know, when you, when your team is doing well, the things that the media or whoever say about the team, you're easy to dismiss. So when the Mets were making the playoffs and all that, and they were saying the defense is bad, the fan base, the knee-jerk reaction is like, fuck you, defense doesn't matter. When the <laughs> Mets start to lose and D. Gordon, you know, has a good series against them, all of a sudden it's, oh my goodness, D. Gordon is the answer, defense matters, defense wins ball games. you know, we couldn't even uh, get to 500 last season because of our terrible defense. You know, it's just, it, it, it becomes the... Uh, they're they're both the reaction to the same thing. They're 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 both people coloring their opinions about baseball and it's sort of it's changing your opinion about the process to be based off the results. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just sort of uh, like I don't know. It's. If you're going into this with we don't have a lot of money to spend, we're going to put Ian Kinsler at second base, so you know we can acquire him. 
I'm uh, sure he's making some money, but we think that's something that really helps us, you know, the, the, the traditional helps us up the middle. Uh, we're going to play Juan Lagares every day. We have Rosario. Suddenly, you know, in the universe where Juan Lagares is healthy, and I know we'll uh, we'll get a little more into his overall uh, game in, in a little bit here, but suddenly you've gotten yourselves uh, this really nice up-the-middle defense, and... You know, Mets fans will harp on Travis Darno when uh, throwing out base runners, but there, there are good aspects of his defensive game, uh, things that he used to be maybe not great at that he's improved. Um, you know, not that he's going to be the, the gold glove catcher, but if you said, hey, Darno, Rosario, Kinsler, Ligaris is, is our up the middle, then I think that changes the defensive picture. But you still can't have pitchers who strike out five or six batters per nine innings and get hurt and throw 90 innings on the year as like your three and four pitchers in the rotation. Like, Nor can you not address the offense in any considerable way and expect somehow the, all the injuries to, to go away and for the offense to be this, uh, you know, powerhouse. There are still major holes on this team, even if the up the middle defense is good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, the offense right now is Conforto and Cespedes need to be healthy and, uh, you know, <laughs> good. Like, like or they're, they're very good or best form. Right. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about Juan Lagares a little bit more. So, um, John Rico was a guest, uh, former, uh, not former, current Mets assistant general manager, was a former resident of Cresco, New Jersey, much like myself. Um, he was on Mets Hot Stove on SNY last week and talked about a number of things, one of which was that um, Juan Lagares is currently working out with the uh, coach who helped J.D. Martinez get uh, more lift on the ball and have a, high, a better launch angle, and the implication was that you know this was going to rub off on Lagares, and in addition to his gold glove caliber defense, we're also now going to possibly see a uh, a thumping power hitter along with that. Now, I, I, I will argue that I think that Ligara should be the starting everyday center fielder, regardless if his offense improves at all. Because I, I, I do believe in his defense, and I believe that his offense over a full season will be passable if he is bringing as much value defensively as he has in the past. But Chris, do you give any credence to the idea that Juan Lagares could suddenly turn into a power hitter? I do not. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that if you look back, like it it wouldn't be the first player to ever do it that late. But even Carlos Gomez, I think, was a little bit younger, right? When he broke out. Probably. <clears throat> he had been in the majors for a while, but he came up so young, though. Yeah. So yeah, he was. Let's see. Things I should have prepared before the podcast. <laughs> uh, um, but is it is it impossible? No, but he has a little pop. <clears throat> yeah, I just don't. I don't know. I, I I just don't see it. And Gomez was 26 when okay. he hit um, 
19 home runs. You know, that that's even at his very best, Gomez was just, you know, amazing center field defense with like very good offense, sort of like Carlos Beltran lights or Carlos Beltran esque, I would say, for a couple of years. Um, but 19 home runs in 2012 when the baseball was, you know, made for this planet. Um, <laughs> That's not too shabby. No, certainly not. But I just don't see it with Ligaris. I mean, I, I, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love him to be healthy, you know, make 600 plate appearances and uh, and hit some home runs. But Am his, I crazy ca- thinking... his career high is six. I don't okay. know. <laughs> Am I crazy in thinking that his defense could make up for his bat if he was starting every day? In your opinion. Um, I, I think in isolation, he could be a good player despite struggling. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, if you play out, um, what he did in 2017 and just multiply it all by, by two Mm -hmm. in terms of plate appearances and war, it's a three win season, um, that's not at all how it works. <laughs> I'm not suggesting right. it is. Uh, you know that that's that, that might be a little bit inflated for the type of player he is. It's not like I, I guess it, it's not like he hasn't shown any power. You know, right? But I just I don't see it. Like if he didn't, if that didn't happen with Kevin Long. Why is it going to happen with somebody else? But that maybe that's a question that everybody asks about everything. You know, Justin right. Turner probably worked with uh, twenty um, hitching hitching coaches, hitting coaches, pitching, hitching, hitting, whatever. Uh, to get the hitch out of his swing, I know what you meant. I haven't even really had like I, I'm, <laughs> this is beer number one. So just, <laughs> just for the record, my, my mind is halfway on the other side of the world. I think that's what it is. Um, but yeah, Justin Turner must have worked with a dozen, 15, 20 hitting coaches before something clicked. So, you know, I, maybe I, I just that fascinates me. You know, when when the one human being says like, well, what if you do this? And the other one's like, oh, yeah, that totally worked. I mean, even Daniel Murphy with Kevin Long. You know, Murphy wasn't a bad hitter by any means before Kevin Long entered his life. Right. But, but Murphy with Long, I mean... There's a there's a marked difference in the pre Kevin Long post Kevin Long Daniel Murphy uh, offensive uh, stat line. Oh yeah, I mean not even close. So I don't know. Like I said, I I do think that if the team wants to prioritize defense and they feel they can get a full season of healthy Ligaris, I mean I think if he hits two seventy. With ten or twelve home runs, I'm pretty happy with that. Again, th- th- that depends on a lot of things. That that depends on other players being healthy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think that I-, I think it's more realistic to find a way to make his glove the valuable part than to try and remake him into an offensive powerhouse. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and like so many other Mets, that would really just mean trying to keep him healthy. Right. 
you know, he's uh, he's young enough that oh, hi iPhone. Uh, he's young <laughs> enough, totally prepared for this episode. He's young enough that <laughs> he can still be a great defender. He's probably not going to get any better, but you know, you wouldn't expect that phase of his game to decline anytime soon, right? It's interesting you mentioned the health because one of the other things that John Rico mentioned on Mets Hot Stove was that they are looking to hire, and I forget the exact name of the position he put out there, but essentially somebody to work with the training staff who wouldn't necessarily travel with the team, but who would be the overseer of all things medical for the team, who would set sort of standards and just generally help to position the team to be the healthiest that they can be without you know, taping an ankle is, is the example that Rico gave, you know, uh, just, just generally putting more of its resources into the preparation of its players and into the organizational philosophy of what they consider healthy. Obviously, uh, well, maybe not obviously, uh, our listeners should be aware, you and I are not medical professionals, so no. <laughs> we cannot necessarily speak with any authority on this, but this seems like a good idea in principle, right? Yeah, and it, you know, it, it's at least trying something new, um, and it's probably the biggest admission we've seen from them that hey, uh, what we're doing medically might not be working. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and obviously they they're not overhauling everything, but I'm, I'm very curious to see who they hire for that position. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get too excited about it because, you know, the offseason theme so far is Juan Ligaris is going to start hitting home runs. Right. Everybody's going to drink a lot of water. And they can hire the Dr. Nick Riviera, possibly. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, it's funny. I, I tweeted something sarcastic recently about the water thing. And um, I, I forget if it was Joe DeMeo who's, you know, written some things for the site recently. Um so I forget if it was Joe or or someone else. Um, you can you go back and look at my tweets. You can find it. But uh, <laughs> whoever it was was saying oh, I'm a big believer in water. Uh, you know, it's like how how different they felt when they were really diligent about staying on top of it. That kind of thing. I'm, I'm like reading into this tweet a little bit, but I think that's basically what the the spirit of it was. Uh, so I'm not I'm not saying. That doesn't matter, but as like a plan to sell tickets, right? Yeah, you know, we got a new manager who's appealing in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, good, good guy uh, in front of a camera. He's he's pretty comfortable. He's saying all the right things. So we Handsome got a new manager. Long, yep. There you go. Uh, <laughs> not not long like the hitting coach though anymore. <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> I see but what that you was, did there. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was a stretch. <laughs> We had to that get in as many puns as we can before you get on a plane to uh, the southern hemisphere. So it was a it was a stretch longer than James Loney's. Oh, there we go. Booyah! Uh, can we just play like idea association and see how <laughs> far back in Mets time we can go? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Uh, sorry, okay. I, I I got completely off topic. Um, but you get the idea. The the off season, you know, the sales pitch to to buy your tickets right now is. Not an overwhelming one. Right. Um, but, you know, if there's somebody who's, like, really 
intelligent and and has a good sense of the sport and the types of things that go into it on a medical level uh, and is sort of distant. It, like, it almost sounds like a GM of health. Right. You know, I, I'm going to observe from afar uh, and I'll make tweaks to things and and all that. And I'm, I'm curious to see how it's implemented. I also don't know how many other teams have something like this. Um, uh, Mark Carrig was also on um, the show and Carrig had said that a number of teams have done this and that this is sort of a, this is a move that cutting edge teams made a number of years ago. Okay. Well, better to be current, I guess. Yeah. I, to me, this sounds like a, a fine idea for the Mets and it seems like an idea that probably would not have been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Would not have been noteworthy if the uh, if there was anything resembling a successful season coming before this. Like, if the Mets didn't totally crater last season, this move wouldn't be looked at as anything special. It would be, oh, the Mets are making a tweak to, their, to the way their front office... Uh, you know, operates with in regards to health versus when they, when, you know, new manager, new pitching coach, new hitting coach, new director of medical training, whatever, all those things add up just, and they look more significant than maybe the move is in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of this stuff might not even happen uh, if they had been good. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, to wrap up, our uh, our segment here tonight, we got to talk about the AAOP, and we have a winner. And Chris has graciously offered to sing the entire entry <laughs> uh, for our podcast listeners. Uh, no, uh, if you have been following along on Amazing Avenue, uh, we had uh, a number of, of really good entries this year. We had about five or six that, that the staff had sort of agreed upon, upon were the best ones. We put them out there for you guys to vote. And the winner was uh, entitled Mets Gonna Win the Series. And who was the author on that, Chris? Uh, M.Z. Valerian. I, I always feel like I get... Yeah. Yep, M.Z. Valerian. At Russ T.E.S. Hackleford on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and, just look at the post. Yeah, just look at the post, It's guys. a hard one to stay. <laughs> uh, but he essentially set his AAOP... To the tune of "We Didn't Start the Fire," the we consensus did. worst Billy Joel song. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think that's a fair, uh, a, a fair way to put it. Yeah. Um, but regardless of whether you like the original or not, I, I think we can all agree that his AOP was incredibly interesting, and it really stood out from the pack because it was a uh, Weird Al esque song parody. Uh, but Chris, you, <laughs> you have the post right in front of you. What are some of the uh, what are some of the you know the talking points from the AOP? What what does he want the team to do besides just win the series? Um, so if I'm translating a little bit, and I we, we were talking about this a little bit before we recorded, uh, word count wise, this may be the sh- shortest uh, winner we've ever had, but. If I'm trying to put it into non-song terms, uh, you know, he's, he, he's, well, Chris 
Christian Yelich is really a focus here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big focal point. Howie Kendrick coming in, uh, you know, the, the, that's bringing in some outfielders, certainly not going on the Ligaris plan. Uh, you know, Ligaris isn't a part of the team as he constructed it. Uh, you know, pretty much sticks with the usual suspects in, in the infield behind the plate. Um Tyler Chatwood, who was very popular in the AAOP. Um, I, I feel like if he wasn't on your AAOP, you didn't really do one. <laughs> Agreed, yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the other surprise, the other surprise one, Jerickson Profar on half the AAOPs, it seemed like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting time to, uh, to you know, for him to be popular. But, um, you know, so it's really outfield heavy in that sense. The, the starting pitching Tyler Chatwood, R.A. Dickey, sign me up. Um, yep. You know, filling the middle of the rotation and pushing, uh, pushing Harvey, Mats, uh, et cetera, you know, out of it um, into the depth fields, so, so to speak. And, and I think trading some of them away, forgive me if I don't. <laughs> There's no transactional list here. It's all <laughs> lyrics. Um, so for themes, you know, outfield help. Middle of the rotation help, and then you know in his bullpen is Familia, Blevins, Ciszek, Shaw, Robles, Callahan, Smoker. Gets a little questionable there at the back end, but yeah, you know Ciszek, Shaw. That's that's a very appealing combination of relievers. Absolutely. Um, so you know, in that sense, it's it's this very entertaining AOP, um, just on the the comedy level and and musically right uh but it hits on the three things that i think i mean in an ideal world there would be four things that they would improve and those are all four major components of the team (laughs) right exactly but it hits on three of them you know it's outfield middle of the rotation middle to you know middle to high leverage section of the bullpen Mm -hmm. um you know so that's all i if the Mets did this or something like it, I could at least be on board with, okay, this team has a good shot at being over 500 and being over 500 in the two wild card era means contending. Right. Right. Uh, um, now we, know, we did not do AOPs this year. You, you and me, we, we did last correct. year. Uh, but can you give folks like three moves you would have advocated for if you did an AOP? Um, well, I'm, I'm all about, Bringing back Dickey, uh, whether or not that would be mutual interest uh, on his behalf, I don't know. But <laughs> uh, that's you know that's a fun one and a semi-serious one uh, from my perspective. I really like Alex Cobb. Um, I don't know why he was the free agent starting pitcher. I, I kind of latched onto coming into this offseason. season, uh, partly because I have been conditioned to just know that you Darvish and Jake Arrieta are. Not affordable for of course, this team. Of course, um, I, of Of all the players out there, I, I know this is not a complete plan and it doesn't solve all the problems, but I'm a Mets fan and I love you, Darvish. So <laughs> my AAOP may have been – was last year just Science Espedes and Do Nothing? I believe so, yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Which, which <laughs> that's slightly uh, oversimplifying it, but kind of what happened. But um, – and we all see how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah, so my fun one would be sign you Darvish, do nothing else. I get to go to um, – oh, I almost said Chase Stadium. I get to go to City Field and, uh, and watch you Darvish pitch in a Mets uniform. But the more serious, realistic would be – I don't know. I thought – I was a little surprised Cobb got a qualifying offer and that he turned it down. Um, you know, if you're going to critique that move in my hypothetical plan, uh, you know, he hasn't been the most consistently healthy starting pitcher. And that's sort of the thing that you need to cure right? the most in this rotation. But the talent and he's still throwing more innings than, say, Stephen Matz. Um, so something like him... Uh, maybe I'm too fond of Neil Walker, but I would I would look to bring him back. I think he'll be a little more affordable. Uh, and you know it. I don't know. Am I am I just saying Alex Cobb and bring back the uh, the 2017 Mets? The Lucas Duda, <laughs> give me Duda Walker and, and Cobb, uh, and, and I'd be pretty happy. Uh, but unfortunately, at that point, I probably left myself out of having any money for the bullpen. So. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, any any uh, marquee signings in your hypothetical AOP? I mean, this is very hashtag on brand for me. But uh, Lucas Duda, I would bring back. Right. Um, but again, I think Duda financially makes sense. I think he fits one of their needs, and we know that he likes he likes playing in New York. You know, it's it's uh, it makes sense to me. Um, I would go after either a, a Dicky or a Cologne. Again, just going with Bay former bays you know of the teams but it's somebody like that an innings eater who can just provide stability in the middle of that rotation and then i would commit most of my resources to the bullpen um i really truly believe that degrom and Syndergaard can throw you know in the 180 to 210 range for innings this year if they stay healthy if not more than that i think that the rest of the starters are all going to give you a hard time with that and so, you know, the team has talked about potentially pulling start, some starters after two times through the rotation. And if you're going to do that, you need to have a stacked bullpen. So I would commit a fair amount of resources. I, I, I like uh, Shaw and uh, Cishak, as uh, as Mets going to win the series said. You know, I would bring in two or three high-quality arms, um, you know, to, to, to shore up that bullpen. I, I know Alderson does not like doing multi-year deals for relievers and I understand that but I think at this point you have to you have to be considering that and I would um I think with with Duda with an innings eater or two in the rotation you know cheap innings eaters and a uh, and a fortified bullpen with with a little bit of health luck the team could compete the the real the real bummer of this as I was reading all the AOPs even the ones that went maybe a little bit further into the unlikely territory. I just think this team's going to have a very hard time competing next season if they do the things we all think they're going to do. There needs to be something big to happen or everybody needs to be the healthiest they've ever been slash the most productive they've ever been. And, you know, that's a little bit depressing. So for my AOP, I wouldn't try and blow up the team because I don't think that there's a way to blow up the team and win and be successful a year or two down the road. Right. And actually, you uh, you bringing up C-Shack again reminded me of my my favorite thing, which would not have fit into the AOP that I just lined, uh, outlined for budgetary reasons. Uh-huh. 
But give me uh, Pat Neshek <laughs> and Cizek. I don't know if any team has ever had two guys. No, I can say confidently. No <laughs> team has ever had two guys with last names ending in S-H-E-K on his roster at the same time. Um, if you can prove Chris wrong, podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. Give us, <laughs> give us proof. And I will say this. As the uh, editor of this podcast, if um, anybody out there, but specifically the winner himself, would like to perform Mets Gonna Win the Series, I will put it into the show for next time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I might have to consult with our legal counsel about the uh, about parody law, etc., but we'll we'll make it work somehow. <laughs> if you could change it just enough to not sound like we didn't start the fire, I would really appreciate that from a uh, from a financial responsibility standpoint. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'll be back next week. Chris, safe travels. And, Thank you. Uh, if you feel like like uh, you know sending in a segment, if you if you see a uh, couple of Mets caps in the wild, if you know if something fun happens, you want to comment on it, or even if just if you hear some Mets news and want to give the listeners your hot take, just send me some files and we'll get them on the air. Yeah, hey, uh, I, I can't make any promises, but uh, you know if they trade for Giancarlo Stanton, uh, I think I can you know. Record one or two minutes of excitement. <laughs> uh, you'll hear about Stanton if you need to call Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Derek Jeter. Mm-hmm. Stanton's not getting a gift basket. He is not. Cyber, and I'm back to talk about some really exciting stuff. Minor league roster management. Ooh, I think this is pretty exciting stuff. But then again, I think that uh, the history and politics of the Silk Road is fun, and I spend more time on Microsoft Word than on my PlayStation 4. So maybe my definition of fun and exciting isn't exactly mainstream. But anyway, the Rule Five draft is approaching, so the Mets had to protect various minor leaguers that could have been exposed to it. And they had five spots open, and there really weren't any surprises with the players that they added. They added four guys, shortstop Luis Guillorme, starter Corey Oswalt, and relievers Ty Bachelor and Gerson Batista. So Guillorme, he's the only position player on the list. He's primarily known for his defense, and that's pretty much it. I'm not really a fan of his approach at the plate, which is basically slash away, 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 which is why he's... Hard to strike out, and he draws a lot of walks, but basically only has double power down the right field line. And that kind of approach leaves him with a pretty thin margin of error to begin with, and then in the major leagues, it's going to be even thinner. And there's no denying that his defense at shortstop is a plus, but I feel that the kind of black hole bat minimizes utility from a team construction standpoint, uh, even as a backup defensive replacement player that's not really getting that many innings. But he is a guy that really needed to be protected. You don't want to lose him. 
Next up is Corey Oswalt. Uh, he's another guy that I'm not really that high on. He had a great season last year, no doubt. He posted a 2.28 ERA and 134 innings with Binghamton. But the numbers don't really match this stuff, I don't think. Um, this is true of really any player, I guess. But Oswalt really has to be perfect and have everything working right in order to have success. Uh, his fastball, 88 to 93, with a bit of life to both sides in sync when he's able to fully extend his arm. But he's been inconsistent with that in the past, so his kind of below-average fringy fastball is flat at times. His slider, uh, it's a below-average fringe pitch. It sits in the low 80s with shallow kind of sweepy break. And his changeup, same thing, it's a below-average fringe pitch. The couple of times I've seen him, he was good when he was basically being a pitch-to-contact guy, locating his fastball, mixing in his slider and changeup, just kind of switch up hitters and letting the defense behind him do his thing. And when he was bad, it seemed like he was trying to be too fancy and too fine with his location, and he was getting burned by it. And his fastball wasn't really getting much sync. So the overall package is so-so, and he's more of a back-end starter. But given all the injuries that the Mets have had with the pitching staff and all the problems there, a lot of Oswald's value is that he's not terrible, and he is in the upper minors, and he could step in to throw major league innings if need be. Next guy is Ty Bachelor. He was a 2013 draft pick, and he lost some developmental time to Tommy John surgery. But when he got back on the mound in 2016, he looked pretty good. His fastball sits in the mid 90s, and it's touched as high as 98. And it's pretty much it's a legitimate swing and miss pitch, and it should carry him to Queens if everything else goes right. What he needs to work on are two things: his slider and his control. His slider, it's pretty much his, his primary breaking ball and it's a kind of slurvy pitch and it needs to be tightened up in order to improve and his control really needs to be worked on he walks a lot of guys and as a reliever that's kind of the biggest thing that you can do so if he's able to tighten up his slider a little bit and work on his command uh, he'll definitely find himself on the fast track to pitching out of the Mets bullpen before not too long and Gershon Batista, who was the last player that was added, uh, he was acquired from the Red Sox in exchange for Addison Reed this past season, is pretty similar to Ty Bachelor. Batista has a better fastball. Uh, his has hit triple digits occasionally, but he also has an inconsistent slider and control problem. So same thing with Batista. He needs to work on tightening up his slider, and he just needs to get the walks under control. So with these additions, the Mets have 39 of the 40 spots in the 40-man roster filled, and there's a few other guys that a case could have been made for adding them, but definitely not over those four guys. Uh, Adonis Uceta, Mickey Janis, and Ricky Knapp are the only guys that needed to be added that a case could have been made, and that you could um, make a case that they're going to be selected by another team. Uceta was an underdeveloped two-pitch starter that basically got transitioned into the bullpen full-time, and he had a decent year last season in his first year as a reliever. He spent most of his time in Columbia, and then he got into a bunch of games at St. Lucie and Binghamton near the end of the season. Uh, he saw a slight uptick in his fastball velocity. It used to sit in the mid-90s and peaked as high uh, and peaked as high at excuse me. It used to sit in the low 90s and peaked as high as the mid-90s. But as a reliever, 
Uh, it sat in the mid '90s and peaked as high as the high '90s. There. <laughs> uh, his changeup is an above-average pitch, but his slider is pretty rough. So the move to the bullpen meant he could basically scrap the slider and just be a fastball changeup reliever, and it all worked out for him. He's an older prospect. He's going to be turning 24 next May. But with his those two pitches, his fastball and his changeup, there's some major league uh, bullpen potential there. The thing is, and what makes possibly losing him palatable if he's selected and the Mets lose him, is that arms like his aren't exactly a dime a dozen, but they're pretty plentiful throughout baseball. Uh, the two relievers that the Mets protected, Batista and Bachelor, they're pretty similar profiles and upsides. And there's a bunch of guys in the lower end of the system that could conceivably turn into relievers at some point, just like uh, Luceta was. So it wouldn't be terrible if the Mets lose Luceta, and it wouldn't be a crushing and devastating blow to the system. Mickey Janis, he's the next guy, and I hope, as everyone knows by now, is a knuckleball pitcher. Uh, He had a pretty decent season last year, and the most encouraging thing about it statistically is that he trimmed down his walk rate. He walked 38 guys in 122 innings. And his strikeout rate slightly went up. He struck out 83 guys. That translates to a 2.8 walks per nine rate, which is solid for a starter and exceptional for a knuckleball pitcher, and a 6.1 strikeout per nine rate. So to put that in context, since 2010, when he became a bona fide major leaguer, R.A. Dickey has a 2.7 walk rate, and a 6.9 walk rate. Janice is no Dickey, don't get me wrong, no one is. Praise Dickey. Uh, Dickey uh, Janice has a better fastball than Dickey. His fastball sits in the mid to high 80s, but he doesn't have as good as a knuckleball as Dickey. Uh, Dickey has the hard one and the slow one, while Janice only has one. It sits in the mid to high 70s. It hits 80, 81, 82 here or there. And it's definitely nowhere near as good as Dickies was is in terms of movement. Um, Ricky Knapp, he's another guy that the Mets did not protect that could conceivably be selected by another team. He had a pretty terrible season in Vegas this past season, but he's the kind of pitcher that Vegas probably victimizes the most. His stuff is pretty average across the board, with nothing sticking out as being particularly bad and nothing sticking out as being particularly good. His fastball sits 88 to 92, which is fringe average for a right-hander, but he commands it well, he uses the entire strike zone, and he can add a subtract to full hitter's timing. His changeup doesn't have that much fade, but it has enough uh, plane change to upset hitter's timing. Cutter is also fringy, but it's enough to keep left-handers honest. Slider, curveball, again, fringy pitches. Like Corey Oswald, a lot of Knapp's utility is that he's in the upper minors, and in a pinch, he could be called up to start, though the results of any potential major league innings might not be the best. David Roseboom, he's another guy that the Mets could have added, uh, but didn't. Roseboom had a pretty good season in Binghamton in 2016, and then he got bit by the Vegas bug last year, and he got hurt in June and lost the rest of his season. So his stock might be low enough that... He gets overlooked, and the Mets didn't need to protect him. Um, They were looking at him in spring training last year as the second lefty, and when he's on and everything's working, he could probably be a little bit more than just, you know, the one-out lefty guy, since he gets righties out almost as well as he does lefties, uh, probably because his delivery is very extreme sidearm, similar to Madison Bumgarner. 
his fastball velocity is about average for a southpaw. It's 88 to 92 or so, and it gets good run because of the arm slot. His slider has a lot of movement on it, again, because of the arm slot. And the changeup used to be a well below average pitch. And he's refined it enough that it's still fringy, but it's workable, and it's something that hitters need to be aware of. So there's still one more roster spot open, so maybe the Mets are looking to make a trade. Maybe they're looking to make a free agent signing or two. Or maybe they're looking to pick up a player in the Rule 5 draft, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Regarding that last one, there's a few intriguing names on that list of guys that have not been protected that the Mets could select. So I will be back next week on Amazing Avenue Audio to profile some of those guys. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. We hope you also go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can check out all of our off-season news, our analysis, our games, all the fun stuff we have going on there. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can always email this show at podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. We look forward to hearing from you over the off-season with your trade suggestions, free agent uh, analysis, whatever else you guys want to talk about. We're game for it, so podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. You can download this show, show you're listening to right now, directly from our host at blogtalkradio.com. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or on your podcatcher of choice. On Apple Podcasts, we ask you to please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. That helps us quite a bit. And you can follow all of the contributors this week on Twitter. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap, Chris is at Chris McShane, and Steve is at Steve Saipa. So next week, hopefully the Mets will make a splash, whether via trade or via free agency at the winter meetings, and you'll hear all about it here on Amazing Avenue Audio. And so, until next time, let's go Mets.